Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock and Tyler, waiting, working, and watching from our series, Ready or Not. Good morning, Forest Hill family. It's great to see you this morning, gathering around uh, all over our community to worship with us and to lift your heart up in songs of praise to the Lord. While we're in this moment of lifting up our voices in praise and worship and singing along with the team that's led us into God's presence, I want to invite you to take a moment and let's pray. Maybe this week has been a, uh, been a wonderful week for you. Maybe it's been a difficult week for you. But whatever the case may be, let's take a moment while we're in this atmosphere of just focusing our hearts on the Lord. And let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing and His grace. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we love you and bless you. Lord, we thank you today that you are our God and that you are, have promised to never leave us or forsake us, but to always be with us. Father, we thank you today that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. You're able to help us. But Lord, we thank you even more that you are willing to help us. Lord, you have promised us that you're willing. Lord, when the leper said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus, your answer was, I will. And we believe, Lord, that you will, you are willing to wade into the battle on the side of your children. So this morning, Lord, in faith... In the name of Jesus, we ask you, O oh God, for every one of our family members that are scattered across Mobile and Baldwin County watching this morning, that, Lord, you would just minister to them. I pray, God, just as certainly as your presence is felt when we gather in this sanctuary, that your nearness would be known by your people as they've gathered in their homes this morning. Father, we ask you for it. Lord, anoint me to preach this morning. Open our hearts and minds to your word to receive it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' strong, mighty name. And his people said, Amen. The Lord reigns. It's great to see you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 25 as we continue our series this morning called Ready or Not. Ready or Not. Matthew 25 is where we're going to be looking. As you're finding your place in God's Word there, I want to remind you today that uh, our pastor on call is available today. If you need someone to pray with you, uh, you can... You can find us today uh, by simply picking up the phone and calling 251-345-1700. Someone is there available to pray with you today. Maybe you are a first-time guest and you would like to let us know that you're watching today. There are a couple great ways to do that. One is through our website, forestillcog.org. You'll find a digital connect card there. If you're a first-time guest, to let us know uh, how we could get back in touch with you and give you more information about our church and its ministry. Many of our people choose to give online during seasons like this when we're unable to gather on campus. You'll find our online giving link there as well. Another way, if you're new to the Forest Hill family, to reach out to us, probably the easiest way is simply by sending us a text message. If you text the word NEW, N-E-W, to the number on the screen there, you will uh, receive a link back from us where you can give us your name and some contact info and we'll reach back out to you throughout this week and uh, let you know that we received that. Before we turn to God's Word, one more thing I want to ask you to do, as always, if you haven't already, like the post right there on your page and then share this post over on your own wall. And finally, Write someone's name in the comment section. Tag them if you would like for them to watch along with you today. And that will help us expand our reach this morning for the message the Lord's given us. Matthew 25, again, if you have your Bible, we're going to jump right in where we left off last week in this series called Ready 
or not. We're in a season of great shaking where many things are changing around us. And many people are asking the question, what does this have to do with the end times? What does this have to do with the coming of the Lord? What does the Bible say about events like this? And we began looking last week at the words of Jesus. There are no surer words than the words of Jesus. And so we began looking at what he said in Matthew 24. And last week we learned Jesus gave us three great commands in Matthew 24. Number one, don't panic. The news that Jesus is coming again is a message of hope and comfort for those who believe and trust in him. The second command of Jesus was don't predict. Jesus warns us, promises us that we will not be able to figure out the day or hour of his coming, that his coming is going to be unpredictable, like a thief in the night. And so we must always stay ready. So number three, don't procrastinate. Get ready, stay ready, be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Be prepared always to meet him face to face. In Matthew 24, the disciples really wanted to know about the warning signs of the end times. They wanted to know the timeline of Jesus' return to earth. But Jesus, though he gave them a little bit of information about how things would look at the end, he really seemed focused on a very different point, and that was the bigger question of how can you be ready for the coming of the Lord whenever he chooses to arrive again. And he spends the entire next chapter, chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel, answering that question. What does it look like to be prepared for the coming of the Lord? If the Boy Scout motto is be prepared, how can we be good Boy Scouts in the kingdom and be ready for the Lord's return? Well, I want you to notice Matthew 25, if you have your Bible, we're going to read uh, from each of the three stories that Jesus tells because Jesus After he tells his disciples what things will be like at the end of time, he tells three stories back to back without a breath in order to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. He begins the first two by saying the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then he tells the story. Let's look at the first story today and the first point today. The first lesson Jesus gives us about being prepared for his coming is this. We should be waiting like a bride. Say that with me. Waiting like a bride. We should be waiting for the coming of the Lord like a bride waits for her wedding day. Matthew 25, hear the word of the Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go, rather, to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. May God bless the reading of his word. And his people said, Amen. I want you to notice something about these ten virgins in the story. First of all, notice the surface similarities. They're alike in so many ways. All ten were virgins. 
good, moral, upstanding people. And this reminds us that just because everyone around you considers you to be a good, moral, upstanding person doesn't mean you're ready for the coming of the Lord. I want you to notice that all 10 of them were invited to the wedding. They all had received their invitation. They were on the guest list and they had every intention of attending this wedding. You know what? You've received the invitation too. If you've heard the gospel once, you've been invited to trust Christ as your Savior and Master. But just because you've heard the gospel and know about the fact that Jesus is coming again doesn't mean you're ready for his return. Notice that all ten were friends of the bride. Not only are they on the guest list, they're in the wedding party. These are people who have every reason to be there. They're an official part of the day. And you know, it reminds me, you can not only know about this, but you can be a friend of the church. You can be someone who attends on a regular basis. You can hang around a lot and still not be prepared for the Lord's return. You can be a friend of the church and not be part of the church. You can hang around here, but it doesn't make you ready for his return. Finally, all ten were given a lamp. All ten of them received a lamp to place in their window in case the bridegroom were to come at night so he could spot them and so they could grab their lamp and come out. You weren't allowed to be on the street at night without a lamp. Only criminals did that. But the bridegroom in a Jewish wedding loved to show up unannounced and try to catch the party off guard and he would come at night and they would announce, the bridegroom's here, go out to meet him. And those who were ready would grab their lamp and rush out at a moment's notice to meet the bridegroom and join the wedding party to go to his house and have the wedding celebration. So these are the surface similarities, but there is one deep difference between the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And the one difference is simply this. One group is ready and one group is not. The, the difference is preparedness. The wise virgins had maintained their spiritual fire. Their lamp was trimmed and burning. They kept a fresh supply of oil all the time in their lamp. The foolish virgins were satisfied with a past experience. They were living on yesterday's oil. They didn't maintain it. Their lamp was lit, but they did not maintain their fire. You know, many Christians today, I hear them talk about a past encounter with God. Or if you ask someone if they're ready for the coming of the Lord, they'll say, oh, well, I've been a Christian since I was 12, or I met the Lord and was baptized when I was 15. Listen, the question is not what happened when you were 12. The question is, are you ready today for the coming of the Lord? Is your lamp trimmed and burning now? Jesus says in this very context, he that endures to the end, the same will be saved. I don't want to know if your lamp was burning. I want to know if your lamp is burning. That's the question. Are you ready now for the coming of the Lord? But which brings us to their perilous presumption, the third part of the story. They just assumed that they would be okay. Verse 5 says the bridegroom tarried. Say he tarried. He delayed his coming. He didn't come as quickly as they thought he would. And then verse 5 also says, and they all slept. Say all. A-L-L. -L. You know what it means in Greek? It means all. 
Same thing. They all slept. The wise and the foolish. What is the point here? The point is that every day's not camp meeting and every day's not Sunday. And in the ordinary busyness of life, we tend to lose our grip on the reality that Jesus could come any moment. It doesn't constantly fill our thoughts. It, it can't because we're too busy with many other things of making a life. But the difference between the wise and the foolish was this. They stayed prepared even when it wasn't front and center on their minds. They were always maintaining their walk with God. Verse 10, verse 6 says, when the cry came out at midnight, they were ready. Verse 10 says, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Jesus said his coming in Matthew 24 would be like the days of Noah. That little phrase is straight out of the story of Noah. God gathered Noah's family into the ark and the Bible says, and then God shut the door. Here it is in the story. Jesus gathers his people and then the door was shut. This is what it will be like when the Lord returns. So Christ is coming, and we need to be waiting like a bride who's always ready for the coming of the Lord. The second story in Matthew 25, Jesus tells without a breath. He picks it up in verse 14. And the point of the second story is this. Christ is coming, so not only should we be waiting like a bride, but we should be working like a servant. Say that with me. Working like a servant. Verse 14 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Let's stop right there. You probably know the rest of the story. If not, you can pick it up in Matthew 25 verse 20. Now, I want you to notice the characters in the story. They break down into three groups. Number one, notice the Lord. The Lord in the story. The master in the story. His departure. He leaves on a journey and he's going to be gone for a long time. This is Jesus talking about his own uh, ascension to heaven. That he's going to leave and go back to heaven and he's going to be there. He's departing. He's preparing his disciples for the fact that he's going to leave and go to heaven. And they're going to be left here to do business for his kingdom until he returns. Then there's not only the departure, but the deposit. He gives them something to use to advance his purposes while he's gone. I think about Acts 2. Whenever Jesus went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit back. And he gives to his people, according to their calling and abilities, gifts to use in the service of the kingdom of God. Spiritual gifts. He deposits something with them that is very valuable. Now we read the story and hear five talents, two talents, one talent, and we think, well, this is a small amount of money. Well, that's because you don't know what a talent is. It would be like saying, I only gave you five million or one million or two million. No, this is a lot of money. A talent was a year's wages. Uh, excuse me, a talent was 20 years wages for an average working man. So you're talking about quite a sum of money if you just got one. A year's wages, two years wages, five years wages. He donated them a, lar a large sum of money to be able to use in investing. Finally, notice his delayed return. The Bible says that he delayed his coming back. He didn't come as quickly as they expected. He delayed his return. Jesus has talked about this twice now. The bridegroom tarried. Now 
the Lord has delayed his return. Jesus was warning us that it was going to be a while before he came back. I hear people say, well, it's been so long and Jesus still hasn't returned. Well, he warned you that was going to be the case. He tells us that it was going to be a long time before he returned. But notice this, the Lord is delaying his return. That's a blessing to the loyal because they're going to continue to invest and be fruitful. But it's a curse to the lazy because they're going to have longer time to invest and nothing to show if they don't begin to work for the kingdom. Notice the two groups of servants. You've got the Lord, then you've got the loyal servants. Notice that. Number one, they love their Lord. The Greek word for servants here is the word bondservant. So a bondservant was someone who could have gone free, but because they loved their master so much, they decided to stay in his service even after their debt to him was paid and they didn't have to. So these people are here by their choice. They love their Lord. Number two, they were loyal to his commission. Um, they were equally diligent, the two loyal servants, the man with five and the man with two talents. They both do their very best. They are diligent and each of them doubled the investment of their master's money. And number three, they were longing for his return. Whenever he shows back up, they're the first in line. They rush up to him. They can't wait to give an account. They're excited and they say, see, look, this is what we've done. They are excited about his return and they're eager to appear before him because they know he'll be pleased with the way they've invested his gifts and their time. But then notice the third guy here, the lazy servant. So you've got the Lord and the loyal servants and thirdly, the lazy servant. And he's unlike the other two in every way. Number one, he's disinterested. He doesn't really care about his master's business. He hid his master's money. He didn't steal it. He just did nothing with it. He buried it in a hole and let it do nothing. It was his master's money. And more importantly, he was his master's servant. And yet he did nothing to advance his master's cause. He's disinterested. Number two, he's disrespectful. Whenever he's called to give an account uh, before his master, he blames the Lord for his laziness. Can you imagine that? I mean, some of you have been there. You've got kids and you leave them something to do and you come back and it isn't done and there's always a reason that it's your fault that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. That ever happened to you? Well, this is what happened to the Lord in the story. The, the man says, oh, I was afraid and I knew that you were a hard master and you gathered where you didn't plan and I was so afraid of losing the money by investing it, I just hid it in a hole in the ground so it would be safe. Here, here's the money back that you gave me. But notice this, it's very disrespectful. He's blaming his master for his own negligence. The words good and faithful go together, and so do the words wicked and lazy. A good servant is a faithful, hardworking servant. A wicked servant is a lazy, slothful servant. Uh, listen, that, I could preach a mile there. Our work ethic says something about our character, our willingness to get up and invest and spend our time and energy and ability in a good cause says a lot about who we really are on the inside. Laziness is a character defect, and it's not becoming of the Christian. Hear me today, disinterested, disrespectful, and then thirdly, he's displaced. He is put out of his Lord's service. He's, he's removed from his master's service. The master takes his money and gives it to the man who now has ten talents. And so he is displaced from his master's service. That's pretty bad, but it gets worse. He's also displaced from his master's presence. The other two are invited 
Come into, uh, come in, into the joy of your Lord. Come into the, the, the banquet that's been prepared. Come celebrate with me my return home. But this servant is not invited to the banquet or the celebration. Instead, the, the master says, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into outer darkness where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so we're warned here to be like the loyal servants, not like the lazy servant. Christ is coming, so we should be waiting like a loving bride. And we should be working like a loyal servant because our investment in the kingdom says that we really do love the Lord and that we really are longing for his return and we believe his kingdom is worth investing in. The third one is this. He gives us one more story. It picks it up in verse 31 of Matthew 25. And it's the story of the sheep and the goats. And the point of this story is we should be watching like a friend. Watching like a friend. Our heart should be so in line with that of Jesus because we're his friends that we live our lives here the way he lived his life. And how did he live his life? Well, he lived it for others. And that's the thrust of the last story. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Note the reason. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The story goes on that the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you like this? We never saw you like this. And Jesus will answer and say, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And then he will turn to the unrighteous and say, you did not do these things for me. And they will say, we never saw you in such a shape. When did we neglect you, Jesus? And his answer will be the same. When you did not do it for the least of those around you, you failed to do it for me. And then the verdict, depart from me. I never knew you. So notice this story about the final judgment. That's what it's all about. Notice the scene of the judgment. Number one, notice the scene. Notice number one, it is factual. It's just it's a reality. Uh, Jesus doesn't describe this as a parable like he does the other two stories. The other two stories, he starts by setting them up and saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. But this third one, he doesn't say that at all. Verse 31, he just kind of launches and warns us that um, this really is the reality. This is the way it's going to be. When the Son of Man comes in the, his glory and all his holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. He will gather the nations and divide them. No, this is not a parable. This is a fact. This is the way it's going to be. Do we live every day like the judgment is a fact? Like we're really going to stand before the Lord Jesus at the end of time and we're going to give an account of ourselves to God? Uh, the Bible warns us this is the reality. Uh, Revelation says that I saw the dead stand before the Lord, small and great, and the books were open and they were judged by the things written in the books. The Bible says that Paul warns us in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. 
So it's a fact. It's, the judgment's factual. And secondly, not only is it factual, but it's firm. Notice how clear-cut this is. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground. It is either the right or the left. You're either included with the sheep or you're numbered among the goats. And notice this. There are no questions asked. I've always pictured the final judgment being an interview where God asks me questions and I have to give an answer. But in this scene, Jesus doesn't ask anything. Their lives have already done all the talking. The way they live their life already has told the tale. The story's already been told. Now all that remains is for Jesus to pass judgment and to give the verdict. Uh, that, that's very frightening, isn't it? The judgment is firm. and The fact of our life already speaks for itself. And there's really nothing more to say when we stand before the Lord on that final day but to hear but to wait for the words of Jesus. It's like the old song Bishop G.E. Patterson used to sing. Oh, my record will be there, be its pages bright or fair. On that morning when I rise and the gates are open wide, oh, my record, yes, my record will be there. And you have a record that will be there in heaven. The judgment is a fact. And number two, it's firm. It's one or the other. It's heaven or hell. And number three, it's final. There is, no, there is no reprieve. There is no one to appeal. There is no higher authority to take your case up a notch. It is either come you blessed of my Father or depart from me. I never knew you. It's heaven or hell and it's forever, whichever it is. It is final. Say final. So that's the scene of the judgment. And then lastly, notice the standard of the judgment. Notice the basis on which Jesus says either come you blessed or depart from me. What is the standard of judgment? Well, number one, notice what it isn't. It is not the Pharisee standard. The Pharisees had a standard of judgment and they judged everyone by that standard. And their judgment was basically this. The Pharisee standard is avoid what's wrong. Avoid what's wrong. Avoid doing what you shouldn't do. And it's amazing to me when I read this passage, Jesus doesn't say one word about any of the religious things that the Pharisees would have been so stuck on. He says nothing about the Sabbath. He says nothing about fasting one day a week. He says nothing about the dietary laws. He says nothing about being circumcised as a sign of Abraham's covenant. Nothing. And I wonder if that won't be our experience on that day. Jesus also says nothing about tithing or church attendance. He doesn't mention prayer or being baptized or some ritual observance. He doesn't talk about smoking or drinking or gambling or even sexual immorality. Now, that doesn't mean these things don't matter. But what it does mean is this. Avoiding what is wrong is not enough to pass muster on the judgment day. Notice the standard Jesus applies. The Pharisee standard is you avoid what is wrong. But the Savior standard is more than that, you must do what is right. You must do what is good. Isn't this what Jesus said when he taught? He said, unless your, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not make it. So the Pharisees was just avoid doing the wrong stuff. But Jesus says, no, you must have a heart that is so transformed by grace that it is actively pursuing the right things, the things that God would have you do. Notice what they did. They did simple things, things anybody could do, a meal, a drink of water, sharing their room for the night, a visit. Notice who they did it for. 
They noticed the people that everybody else overlooked. They worked on behalf of the stranger. They took care of the needy. They visited those in prison that were being neglected by everyone else. They checked on the sick. In our day, think of that. The elderly, the nursing home patient, the single mom who's struggling by herself, the people that everyone else often overlooks. They gave out of love, not self-interest. Notice, they didn't give in order to get. They gave because their heart moved them to give. Whenever Jesus says, you did this for me, the righteous say, Lord, when did we do this for you? We weren't aware that we were doing this for you. But the Pharisees are just the opposite. Their answer is, Lord, if we'd known it was you, we would have helped that guy in the ditch. But we didn't know it was you. We just thought he was a bum on the street, so we ignored him. Well, Jesus said, congratulations, you ignored me. What's the point here? The point is, it's an issue of our heart. Let's get clear about what Jesus is not saying here. This is not a works righteousness message. Jesus is not saying you can earn your way to heaven by doing these good deeds for other people. That's not what he's saying at all. But what he is saying is what the rest of the Bible says. Faith without works is dead being alone. And that the genuineness of our faith in Christ is proven by the way we live and the works that we do. And if we really have met Christ, if we really are a friend of Jesus then the heart of Jesus will rub off on us and it will affect the way we treat other people around us. The ultimate test of whether we believe in Jesus or not is not if we can quote the Apostles' Creed or if we agree with the Church of God Declaration of Faith. It's not even our list of do's and don'ts. Rather, it is faith working by love, demonstrating itself in self-forgetful generosity to those who need us, who live around us. This is not works right or earning your salvation, but if the love of Christ has been shed abroad in my heart, we will find ourselves compelled by his love to reach out to others who've been forgotten, overlooked, and ignored. And that will be the ultimate proof that we are among the righteous. The ultimate proof that we are children of our Father in heaven because we act like him. That we are the friends of Jesus because we care about what our heavenly friend cares about. Who he cares about in the world. And we're always watching for ways to advance his cause in the world, his kingdom, and to share his love. This is the central message Jesus wants us to hear in light of the news that he is coming again. He doesn't want us to get stuck on a timeline. He doesn't want us to get distracted by wondering if this or that sign means that his coming is at the door. Jesus says the bigger issue is this. You're not going to know the details of when I'm coming, so you must always be prepared. And how can we be prepared? Well, here are the three issues right here. Number one, you must be waiting like a loving bride. Are you? Are you waiting for Jesus like a bride waiting on her bridegroom? Is your fire for God bright and burning? Are you maintaining a passionate relationship with Christ? Or has your love grown cold? Have you gotten lukewarm and cooled off in your passion for God? The Bible warns in the last days that'll happen to many people. Number two, are, are you working like a loyal servant? That's the second way we can know that we're ready. If we're working in the kingdom of God, if we love Jesus so much that we believe that his kingdom is worth investing our time and our talent and our money and our ability in. Do you love the master? Do you long for his return? Is your life devoted to advancing his kingdom? Does the thought of his return fill you with anticipation or anxiety? 
Can you not wait to run up and show him how your life has been used for his glory and celebrate that? Or are you anxious because you know your life has been all about yourself? Finally, the third point Jesus gives us is we must be watching like a lifelong friend. Are you? Are you watching, looking out for ways to share the love of Jesus, moved by the heart of Christ, unable to keep yourself back, uh, moved by an inner sense of compassion for the hurting around you? Or do you wrongly believe that simply claiming to be a Christian and avoiding the less acceptable sins will be enough to pass muster on the judgment day. That that'll be enough to get you through God's final inspection of your life when you stand before him at the end. The question today, in light of the Lord's coming, is the question of every Sunday. And it's simply this. Are you truly saved? Are you among the righteous? Are you part of God's people? Has your life been changed by meeting Jesus? Is your heart Your character, the real you down on the inside, progressively being transformed to look more and more like the heart of Christ. Does an honest examination of your life prove out your claim that you know Jesus, that you love Jesus, that you are doing your best to follow in the steps of Jesus? I want to tell you, if it does not, then it's time to face the difficult reality that you are unprepared for the coming of the Lord. And it's time to do what the five foolish virgins waited too late to do, and that is to prepare and get ready for his soon return. I urge you today, before it's too late, if your heart's not ready for the coming of the Lord, you need to go to them that buy oil and fill your lamp so it can be bright and burning. Pastor, what do you mean? I mean simply this. You need to get ready. You need to repair your relationship with Christ. You need to allow him to fill your life with love for his Father and his kingdom. Today, you need to pray to receive him. You need to own him as your Lord and master and stop wasting your life living for yourself and invest your life in the kingdom so you'll have something to show at the end, the proof that you loved him and obeyed him and followed him. And Finally today, you need to let that love flow through you to others around you so they too can know his love and grace. I want to pray with you today. And if you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you will today. If you once walked with the Lord, but your lamp is not burning brightly anymore, your passion for God has grown cold, I pray for you today that you'll take a moment, you'll get alone with God, and you'll ask God to help you to relight your fire for Him. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, I've done my best to be true to your word, and I pray, God, that you'd help us today to respond to it. Lord, right now, where we sit, all over Mobile and Baldwin County in our living room, I pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's one watching today who is not saved, I pray that today you'd stir their heart up to know it's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to be morally acceptable in the eyes of others. It's not enough to be a friend of the church and be warm toward religion and even give a little bit once in a while or attend once in a while. Lord, that's not enough. It won't cause us to pass the final inspection. We must be fully yours. Our hearts must be surrendered to you. We must be walking and living with you as Lord and Savior, Master and King. Lord, let someone's heart turn to you today. Let them confess their sin. Let them confess that they believe Jesus' death and resurrection was enough for their salvation. And to trust you to save them and start living for you. 
Lord, I pray for those today who once walked with God but who've grown lukewarm and cooled off and maybe even backslidden and gone back into the things of their past. Lord, today let it be the day when you shake them awake and they feel their need once again to refill their lamp with the oil of God's Spirit. And Lord, to make sure their walk with God is maintained. Lord, wake them up from sleep before it's too late. Lord, we ask you for this. Pray for all of us that, Lord, this week we would live lives that show we love our Lord and we are fervently expecting his soon return. And let the world know that by the way we love and care for them so they too can hear about Jesus. In his name we pray and God's people said, Amen. Maybe today you would like to pray with someone to receive Christ or pray about recommitting your life to Christ and reigniting your passion for God. I urge you to call the number on the screen there, 251-345-1700. And one of our pastors would love to pray with you today. Maybe today you would like to reach out to us. You need the connection of a good church family. Well, that digital connect card is available, forcetillcog.org. I want to say before we go today, thank you to our faithful, loyal financial supporters who, whether we're present or whether we're absent, whether we're gathered or scattered, you've been so faithful to support your local church with its giving. You can continue to do that online at that same website or with our online giving, or you can drop a gift by the church office, drop it in the mailbox, and we'll get it that way as well. If you're new to us at the Hill, you can also text the word NEW to that number on the screen there, and we'll get back in touch with you, some information on how you can connect more deeply with us here at the Hill. Before we go today, I want to urge you, remember, Jesus is coming. He's coming suddenly, like a thief in the night. There won't be time to get ready. It's time to be prepared and stay ready for the coming of the Lord. I hope you are, and I hope you will. And if I don't see you before we gather here again, I'll see you when we gather around this throne. Receive this blessing from the Lord today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and grant you his peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.